If you know what King David knew about God, then when the pressure's on, you will instinctively look away from yourself and your troubles and you will look to God and you'll know that he cares. Lord, we praise you for the great hope that we have, and we pray that as we wait, you will teach us, help us to learn from your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Do please be seated. How do you deal with pressure? We always face a variety of pressures in our lives, but there are times when the pressure becomes intense. And when that happens, the issue of how to cope with that pressure becomes intense for us as well. And that's where this psalm that we're looking at this evening comes in, because it gives us a window into the mind of a godly man under intense pressure. And it shows us how he deals with multiple pressures piling up on him. And if we're willing to learn, it trains us how we too can cope when the pressure piles up on us. As uh, you should be aware by now, this is Psalm 25. You'll find it there on page 459. Do please have that open in front of you. And my outline, you'll see there on the back of the service sheet. My title is Waiting for God. And I want us to look at this psalm under four headings, which are these four questions. Are you in trouble? What do you need to know about God? How should you behave towards God? And how should you pray? The godly man from whom we're learning is King David, as you can see from the little note at the top of the psalm. So this is a kind of privileged case study of King David under pressure and how he copes with the pressure through his dealings with God. So let's think about each of these questions in turn. First of all, are you in trouble? Let's have a look at David's condition as it is revealed by this psalm. I don't want to work through section by section this evening. Instead, I want to look at the psalm as a whole and see its main themes. And each of the four main themes relates to one of my questions. So what is the condition that David is in? as he writes what is really a self-revealing prayer. He is deeply troubled. That's clear, for instance, in verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. He's distressed and things are only getting worse. His troubles are getting bigger and bigger. He uses an image that encapsulates how he sees the condition that he's in. It's there in verse 15. Take a look at that. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. It's that second part of the verse I want you to see at this stage. He, the Lord, will pluck my feet out of the net. In other words, as he writes, he sees himself as like a bird with its feet stuck in a net. He can't escape. He is trapped I remember a few years ago going up to our allotment, our soft fruit bushes were covered with netting. And as I approached, I could see something flapping and fluttering under the net. And as I got closer, 
I realized that a blackbird had somehow got under the net and had got itself all caught up in the mesh. And the more it flapped, the worse its situation became. It could not escape. When I approached, it got even more agitated. If it had known what I was about, it would have understood that the best thing was for it to be still and quiet, but it wasn't. I managed to take it in my hand, holding it very firmly, but also very gently, and with the other hand, I, I untangled uh, the, uh, the feet of the bird, and then I set it free, and off it flew, without so much as a thank you. <laughs> King David feels like a bird enmeshed in a net, with no way of escape, unless the Lord intervenes. And maybe you can identify with that yourself. Maybe you are now in one of those times of life when the pressures mount. What were these pressures that were trapping David? He doesn't tell us in detail, which is always good because it makes it easier for us to relate our own troubles to his. But nonetheless, it is possible to identify some different kinds of pressure or trouble that he faces. They are enemies, his own sin, loneliness, and confusion about what he should do. He has enemies who are out to get him. Verse 2, let not my enemies exult over me. And these enemies are numerous and dangerous. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. But that external pressure is only made worse by the internal pressure he feels from his own sense of guilt and shame. His sin is weighing on him. You can see that in various places. For instance, verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And verse 11. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. And then these outside and inside troubles are making him feel isolated and causing him pain. Verse 16. For I am lonely and afflicted. So in the midst of these troubles, he's confused about what he should do. And he prays, verse 4, teach me your paths. He doesn't know what path he should be going down. What about you? Does all this ring bells with you? Are you in trouble? Are you under pressure from other people? Or from your own sin? Are you feeling isolated and lonely? Are you confused about what to do? If not, then the time will come. So prepare now by learning from this psalm. If you are in trouble, then this psalm is especially for you. And it's clear that this is not only relevant to King David's own situation from the very last verse of this psalm. Now, as a matter of fact, this is what is known as an acrostic psalm. That is, each new verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So this is very carefully considered. We lose that, of course, in the English translation, though there is a little note explaining that at the foot of the page. But this last verse, verse 22, comes after the alphabet has been completed. So it acts as a kind of summary verse for the whole psalm. And it says, verse 22, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This, then, is a prayer for any of God's people who are in trouble that the Lord will rescue them 
Are you in trouble? Are you a believer? Then this is for you. Secondly, what do you need to know about God? The answer that King David gives to this question is right at the heart of what this psalm has to teach us about coping with pressure. When we're in trouble, what are the first two things that we're inclined to do? I think they are these. We think about our troubles and we think about ourselves. And that perhaps is inevitable to begin with. But what this psalm is teaching us is that what we need to do when we're in trouble and when we're distressed is to understand who God is and what he is like. And then we need to look away from our troubles and away from ourselves and look to God. So what do we need to know about God? What is he like? King David spells out here some of the key things that he knows about God. He's learned these things by a combination of revelation and long experience of having proved them in his dealings with God over the years. The Lord vindicates those who wait for him. Verse 3, indeed none who wait for you shall be put to shame. The Lord is a good God, always ready to teach those who are ready to learn. Verses 8 and 9, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. The Lord is loving and faithful, verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The Lord gives the needed guidance to those who humble themselves before him, verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. And amazingly, the Lord is the friend of such people, and he shows them his love. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. When we're in trouble and under severe pressure, what matters most is what we know about God. And these are the things that we need to know. These are the things about himself that God has made so much more clear to us even than they were to King David because we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in a way that he never did. When we see what Jesus is like, we see what God is like. When we see what Jesus does, we see what God does. See Jesus and you see the Father. When we're under pressure, what matters most is what we know about God. Now we see how this works out if we think again about that blackbird caught in the net and flapping furiously. As it saw me come near, its panic just increased. Why? Because it was afraid of me. It thought, by whatever process blackbirds think, that I was going to harm it. It did not know me. If it had known what, what I was like, it would have known that I was kind and strong <laughs> and gentle, on this occasion anyway. It would have known that I was wise enough to know how to release it, 
He would have known that my purpose was not to kill it, but to set it free. And that that was what I was going to do. And if it had known these things about me, then when it saw me approach, it would not have thrashed around more and more violently. It would have calmed down. And it would have been at peace. Because though it was trapped, it would have known that its rescue was at hand. You get the point. When we're in trouble, what matters is what we know about God. He is our Redeemer. But that's not the end of it. Next question. Thirdly, how should you behave towards God? When you know what you need to know about God, then how you should behave towards God when you're in trouble flows naturally from that. If you don't really think that God is there, then you will remain preoccupied with yourself and with your troubles and God won't feature. That can be true of those who are what we might call practical atheists. They say all the right things about believing in God, but when the pressure is on, they act as if they don't. Their knowledge of God is theoretical only. When the crunch comes, it makes no difference to how they behave. God save us from that deadly danger. If, on the other hand, in your heart of hearts, you think that God is out to get you, then when you're under pressure, the last thing you'll want is for him to add to your trouble. So you'll run away from him as far as you possibly can. And if you think he's coming near, you will flinch and you will flap like that blackbird. But if you know what King David knew about God, then when the pressure's on, you will instinctively look away from yourself and your troubles and you will look to God and you'll know that he cares and that he's there and that he's going to rescue you. And you will cry out to him. And you'll reach out to him. And that is exactly what we see David doing here. Verses 1 and 2. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. David, as it were, throws his whole weight onto his Lord. In our dealings with one another... Disappointments are bound to occur. Even at our best, we are not utterly trustworthy. At our worst, we are utterly untrustworthy. But not God. He always bears the full weight of our trust in him. Here's verse 15 again, with emphasis this time on the first part of it. My eyes are ever towards the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Because David understands God's grace and mercy, that burden of guilt that he knows becomes an honest acknowledgement of his sin to God, who knows all about it anyway. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11, pardon my guilt, for it is great. All in all, how David behaves towards God when he's in trouble is summed up by the phrase that he uses there in verse 20. I take refuge in you. David knows that it's when he's in the arms of God that he is safe, so he hides himself in God. Remember the old hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. That's how King David behaves towards God. That's how we should behave towards God. Take refuge in him. 
And when we do that, we will also inevitably cry out to the Lord in prayer, which is exactly what David is doing here. So fourthly, what should we pray? In this psalm, King David brings his distress, affliction, and loneliness together with what he knows about God, and the combination flows out in a series of simple, heartfelt pleas. And they're a model for us in our own praying. Verse 2, let me not be put to shame. In verses 4 and 5, he asks that God will teach him. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. In verses 6 and 7, he asks that God will forgive him. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And again in verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And yet again in verse 18, forgive all my sins. It's very striking, isn't it, that David seems more concerned about his sin than his suffering or his enemies. So often our reaction is almost the exact reverse of that. But nonetheless, David does bring all of his troubles to the Lord. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Verse 17, bring me out of my distresses. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes. Verse 20, O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. And then having laid all of his troubles on the Lord in prayer, he waits for his deliverance. Like a trapped bird going still in the strong hands of its rescuer while it is untangled from the net. Verse 21, I wait for you. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the famous scene uh, towards the end of the film, The Railway Children. And I realize I'm showing my age when I say that because it came out in 1970. It is burned onto my soul from those days of my youth. And by the way, apparently this film received its first official complaint this year, 43 years late, on the health and safety grounds that it encourages playing on railway lines. <laughs> The complaint was not upheld. Anyway, here is the scene. A troubled young girl stands on the railway platform. Platform. Her beloved father has been away for years, imprisoned on false accusations of treachery. He has finally been vindicated, and he's coming home. The train stops. The platform is shrouded in steam and smoke. As it clears, she sees a man standing there. And she realizes that it's her father. And she runs towards him and cries out, heart-wrenchingly, Daddy, my daddy. And he takes her in his arms and he lifts her off her feet as he folds her in his big embrace. I was quite touched to see some of the comments on the internet about that scene. One said, I'm a six-foot-three Millwall supporter approaching 50 and I daren't watch this scene with anyone else in the room. <laughs> Another said, this still brings tears to my eyes, and I'm a 42-year-old man. My dad died in April 1991, and when it's my turn to go, 
I hope that when I meet in heaven again, we will greet each other like that. Actually, I think one of the reasons it's such a moving scene is that quite unwittingly, it captures something of what it means to know God and how we should behave towards him and how we should pray. Run towards him in our troubles. Cry out to him. And we will find him real and trustworthy. That is what King David knew. That is what King David did. And so should we. Let's bow our heads to pray. And let's make the prayers of this psalm our own. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O guard my soul and deliver me. I take refuge in you. I wait for you. Redeem us, O God, out of all our troubles. In Jesus' name, amen.